Welcome to our podcast, Carefully Examining the Text. And today we want to look at Psalm 44. Psalm 44 is the first national lament that we have studied. There are 11 of these psalms that are generally classified this way. Now, the difference between a national lament and an individual lament is that in an individual lament, the pronouns are generally first-person singular, I, me, and my. In a national lament, it is usually we and our. And you will find some 17 of the 26 verses in Psalm 44 that use first-person plural terms. As we read the words of Psalm 44, it's difficult to tie them to one particular moment in Israel's history. Some have tried the days of Hezekiah in 701 B.C., Others have gone to the days of Jehoshaphat around 853 B.C., the day that he was invaded, recorded in 2 Chronicles 20. But, but it's hard to be precise. All throughout Israel's history, they experienced powerful enemies and the threat of war. But what we will find in Psalm 44 in verses 1 through 8, a description of Israel's glorious past. In verses 9 through 16, a description of their miserable present. In verses 17 through 22, a protest of Israel's innocence. And then, in verses 23 through 26, a plea to God and a call to God for action. But let's break the text down, and let's look at the first eight verses. Psalm 44, the text says, For the choir director, a mascal of the sons of Korah, verse 1, O God, we have heard with our ears. Our fathers have told us the work you did in their days, in the days of old. You, with your own hand, drove out the nations. Then you planted them. You afflicted the peoples. Then you spread them abroad. For by their own sword they did not possess the land, and their own arm did not save them. But your right hand and your arm and the light of your presence, for you favored them. You are my king, O God. Command victories for Jacob. Through you we will push back our adversaries. Through your name we will trample down those who rise against us. For I will not trust in my bow, nor will my sword save me. But you have saved us from the hand of our adversaries, and you have put to shame those who hate us. In God we have boasted all day long. We will give thanks to your name forever. Selah. So the text says in verse 1, We have heard with our ears. Their fathers had repeated the stories of God's great works in Israel's past. Their fathers had repeated these stories, and the people had heard these stories and had celebrated them. And they knew the accomplishments of Israel in the past and the achievements of their forefathers were not their own doing. 
but they were a blessing from God. That's what you see particularly in verse 3. As the Bible talks about, by their own sword they did not possess the land. Israel didn't conquer seven nations greater and mightier than they were by their own sword or by their own arm. It was God who saved them and strengthened them. Verse 3 says this, By their own sword they did not possess the land, and by their own, in their own arm did not save them. But your right hand and your arm, in the light of your presence, you favored them. As Joshua was reviewing Israel's history in Joshua 24, he states the same kind of thing in verse 12. He applies it in Joshua 24, 12 to the victory over the Amorites, Sihon and Og. But they did not win the battles by their sword and by their arm, but by God's power. And God, in verse 4, is pictured as the king who commands victories for his people. In Psalm 42, in verse Eight, the text says the Lord will command loving kindness in the daytime. But here in 44 verse 4, it is God who commands victories for his people. Verse 5, through you we will push back our adversaries, and through your name we will trample down those who rise against us. But trust was put totally in God and his salvation. You notice that the word saved is used in verse 3, it's used in verse 6, and it's used in verse 7. For God had saved them in the past, God had delivered them from their difficulties in the past, and God would save them in the present and in the future. God had saved them from the other nations, and God had planted them, verse 2 says, which is often a description for God putting the people in the land of Canaan or Palestine. You see in Psalm 80 and verse 8 that Israel is pictured as a vine that is planted in the land, as a vine that is planted in the land of Canaan. Verses 1 through 8, and we could have gone into more detail about them, describe Israel's glorious past and gives God credit for every achievement. But the tone shifts dramatically in verses 9 through 16. Dramatically. It is no longer God's great accomplishments, but it is the people's miserable situation. And they can't understand the difference between then and now. Notice that verse 9 begins, Yet you, or but you. In contrast to God's great victories in the past, in verses 1 through 8, Yet you have rejected us and brought us to dishonor. Now there are quite a few connections that we could draw between Psalms 42 and 43, which we covered in our last podcast, and Psalm 44. 
In Psalm 43, in verse 2, God is said to have rejected the people. And now the same in Psalm 44, in verse 9, you have rejected us and brought us to dishonor, and you do not go out to eat. Excuse me, you do not go out with our armies. They, God did not accompany their armies in battle. You remember the case in Numbers 14, and the people had refused to go up into the land of Canaan? Their spies had brought back a bad report, and the people had stumbled in unbelief. The next day, they get up and they say, we're sorry, we're repenting, we have sinned against God, now we're going to go up and we're going to fight, and we're going to take the land. And Moses said, you better not, because God's not going to go with you. The ark is not going to go with you, and neither God nor Moses nor the ark of God went with them into battle, and the people were soundly defeated. The point is, if God doesn't go with their armies, they are doomed to victory. And the text tells us, you've rejected us, you brought us to dishonor, you do not go out with our armies. In verse 10, you cause us to turn back from our adversaries. In verse 5, they pushed their adversaries around. In verse 7, they were saved from their adversaries. But now in verse 10, they are turning back from their adversaries. In verse 10, those who hate us have taken spoil for themselves. In verse 7, God had put to shame those who hate us. But now in verse 10, it's those who hate us who have the upper hand in the conflict. Those who hate us have taken spoil for themselves. You have given us as sheep to be eaten, in verse 11. In Psalm 23, God is pictured as the good shepherd who leads his people in the green pastures and by the quiet waters. Ezekiel 34 warns against the fact that Israel often had evil shepherds, wicked shepherds, who didn't care about the sheep, and left the sheep to be food for all the wild beasts. The description of God in Psalm 44 in verse 11 is more similar to the picture of the wicked sheep in Ezekiel 34 than the good shepherd in Psalm 23. You have given us as sheep to be eaten, and you have scattered us among the nations. In verse 12 of Psalm 44, you sell your people cheaply. In the book of Judges, God is often said to have sold the people in the hands of an enemy. Judges 2.14, Judges 3.8, Judges 4.2, Judges 10, verse 7. And, and the text tells us God has sold his people cheaply and has not profited by their sales. 
And notice how the people are a constant cause of jokes. They are a laughing stock among those around them. Verses 13 and 14 uses five different terms in the New American Standard, reproach, scoffing, derision, byword, and laughing stock. And all of them describe their enemies' estimation of them. They are reproach, scoffing, derision, byword, and laughing stock. This is true among their closest neighbors. You notice that verse 13 uses the term neighbors and those around us, while verse 14 uses the term nations and peoples. They were a laughing stock among those closest to them and among those the farthest away. All nations mocked and ridiculed God's people. In verse 15, all day long my dishonor is before me, and my humiliation has overwhelmed me. In verse 8, the people had boasted in God all day long, but now that phrase is used again in verse 15. All day long, now my dishonor is before me. And we don't expect the combination of those all day longs. All day long we boasted in God, but all day long dishonors before us. Because of the voice of him who reproaches and reviles, because of the presence of the enemy and avenger, the picture in verses 9 through 16 could scarcely be further apart than the picture in verses 1 through 8. The glorious past of Israel described in the first eight verses doesn't match their miserable present in verses 9 through 16. Now, generally, in historical psalms like Psalm 78, like Psalm 105 and 106, the Bible emphasizes God's glory and Israel's sinfulness. And the cause for Israel's problems is said to be their sinfulness and their wickedness. They are experiencing the curses of the covenant of Deuteronomy 28 and Leviticus 26. But here in Psalm 44, we're going to find in verses 17 through 22 a protest of innocence. A protest of innocence. In spite of the fact that they have experienced all types of miserable things. They claim they are innocent and they are not guilty before God. Notice how strongly that is affirmed in verses 17 and 18. All this has come upon us, but we have not forgotten you, nor have we dealt falsely with your covenant. Our heart has not turned back. Our steps have not deviated from your way. Yet you have crushed us in the place of jackals, and you have covered us with the shadow of death. Notice their professions of loyalty in verses 17 and 18. We've not forgotten you. We've not dealt falsely with your covenant. Our heart has not turned back. 
Now, in Psalm 78, verse 57, the people's heart was said to have turned back. But here they affirm their innocence. Our heart has not turned back. And our steps have not devastated, not deviated from your way. So in verse 18, there are four strong expressions of their loyalty to God and their faithfulness to the covenant. And yet, verse 19 describes the horrors they experienced. Yet you have crushed us in a place of jackals. You have covered us with the shadow of death. In Psalm 23, in verse 4, this word for shadow of death is used. The Bible says that though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. And your rod and your staff, they comfort me. When a person walked through the valley of the shadow of death, they could expect the good shepherd and his comfort and him to remove all fear. And yet here, it is God who has covered his people with this shadow of death. And they've been loyal and they've been faithful to him. He states in verse 20, If we had forgotten the name of our God or extended our hands to a strange God, would not God find this out? For he knows the secrets of the heart. He stated in verse 17, We've not forgotten you. And he says in verse 20, If we had, you would know it because you know all things. If we had extended our hands, he says in verse 20, to a false god, extended our hands, Moses is said to have stretched out his hands in prayer in Exodus 9 and verse 29. But they had not stretched out their hands to a false god. If they had, they would experience disaster. But we haven't done that. We haven't forgotten you. We haven't worshipped other gods. And you would know, O God, if we speak truth. But in verse 22, But for your sake we are killed all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Now remember the phrase all day long in verse 8. They had boasted in God all day long. It was used in verse 15 as they had experienced dishonor all day long. And now in verse 22, we are killed for your sake all day long. We are sheep to be slaughtered. It's a common picture in the Bible for a person who's innocent being led away to destruction. A protest of innocence in verses 17 through 22 and a plea to God to come to their rescue in verse 23. He uses dramatic language. Arouse yourself. Why do you sleep, O Lord? God is said to neither slumber nor sleep in 121 verse 4. But, but here, arouse yourself. Why do you sleep, O Lord? Awake! Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face? 
in verse 3, the light of God's face, the light of God's presence had shone on them. But now God has hidden his face. And God is said in verse 24 to forget our affliction and oppression. They had not forgotten God in verse 17 and verse 20. But God seems to have forgotten them in verse 24. In verse 25, our soul has sunk down into the dust. Our body cleaves to the earth. Rise up, be our help, and redeem us for the sake of your loving kindness. What a psalm. And isn't it fascinating that God leaves these words standing in Scripture? In Scripture, you see people honestly wrestling with why things are the way they are in their life. And why God hasn't acted. You see this in the Psalms especially. Every person in their life is going to have the experience of feeling like they were unjustly suffering. Every believer will at some point in his life question God's justice. And the words of this psalm Tell us that God invites us to cry out, to ask questions, to reflect on our faithfulness, and to beg God to help us. A lot of answers elude us, but they show us that God wants us to keep coming to Him in times of crisis. I also think it's fascinating that despite all the hurt in verses 9 through 16. All the hurt in verse 19 and 22. In spite of all that hurt, the last word of the psalm is loving kindness. As one writer says, the divine sleep, the aloofness, the inattention are appearances. The reality behind them is given in the last word your steadfast love. Now, what use can we make of this psalm in comparing it to Jesus? One, the first eight verses emphasized Israel's glorious past, but they showed us that the glorious past of Israel has little to do with themselves and everything to do with God and His power. That God in His power had brought great victories and got great accomplishments. In the same way, Those who are saved must humble themselves before God and submit to His will. But that accomplishment of salvation is not our doing. It is His doing. It is His work and not ours. By grace you are saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one should boast. 2 Timothy 1 verse 9 says the same thing that Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 does. That doesn't deny the importance of obedience, as Hebrews 5 verses 8 and 9 stresses. 
He doesn't deny the importance of baptism, as Acts 2.38 and Acts 22.16 affirm. But it is to say that salvation is His work by His power, and it is a statement for which to praise God, is a fact for which to praise God, and not to pat ourselves on the back. Jesus is our king. As verse 4 speaks of God this way, we speak of him this way. And while Israel was pouring out their heart, moaning in Psalm 44, verses 9 through 16, we can look at so many of those words and apply them to Jesus. Jesus, who was sold for 30 pieces of silver, verse 12 says, you sell your people Chiefly, Jesus, who on the cross became a reproach and a derision. We can think of the fact that the call is made to God in verse 23. Arouse yourself. Why do you sleep? Awake. Do not reject us forever. And we can remember Mark 4, verses 35 through 41, and see how the disciples in the boat begged Jesus, Wake up! Don't you care? We're perishing. But verse 22 is particularly significant. For your sake, we are killed all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. There is no sadder passage in Psalm 44 than verse 22. There may be no sadder passages in the Psalms than Psalm 44, verse 22. And yet, that is quoted in Romans 8, 26, in a triumphant text. Right before this, in Romans 8, 36, there's the statement in verse 35 that nothing can separate us from the love of God, a statement repeated in verses 38 and 39 of Romans 8. In verse 37 of Romans 8, through all these things, we're overwhelmingly conquerors through Him who loved us, surrounded by this statement in the New Testament are statements about the power of of God and the greatness of God and the greatness, the victory that God brings. Jesus died and rose again, as Romans 8.34 tells us. And because of this, because he died and rose again, because Jesus was led as a sheep to the slaughter, because of that, Even when we are as sheep headed for the slaughter, we overwhelmingly conquer through Him who loved us. May God bless you to remember that in the day of your unjust suffering.